0: As some of you may know, we're in the middle of a three-part series on Luke chapter 15. And last week we heard a wonderful message by Pastor Phil, who gave the background to the story and helped us to understand the historical and uh, other settings of the story. Um, Have you ever lost something and searched for it diligently. Most of us have lost something at one time or another in our life. Well, I did. At one time, I lost my eyeglasses. And I searched, and I couldn't find them. And uh, I searched everywhere. I looked in in the bedroom. I looked on the dresser. I looked all around, I went to living room, there were a number of places where I could have put them. They were not in any of those places. I looked in the kitchen, no, it's not in the refrigerator. <laughs> I really searched and looked, and I at one point just wandered into the bathroom and turned and looked in the mirror, and there they were. <laughs> Sitting on top of my hat on my head. So, it's good to search for things, and I was so happy when I found them because then I could drive to work. (laughs) This morning, I want to talk first a little bit about the setting that Phil mentioned last week. And uh, we have to go back, as Phil did, to chapter 14, where we understand the context that Jesus is traveling on his way to Jerusalem, and he's traveling with a large crowd. And the crowd is made up largely of people like you and me. The Bible often calls us sinners, which we of course are, but the common people, the average people who long to hear the words of Jesus, the message that he had for them. And also there were Pharisees, Now, in this crowd that's gathered around Jesus, we kind of, maybe in our minds, I see the Pharisees off to one side, mumbling and grumbling about Jesus spending so much attention to these common folk. And um, they had somewhat contempt for Jesus. They followed him to try to catch him in his teaching or to ask him some Question to trap him in his response. So they really didn't follow Jesus to learn or to grow closer to God, but um, to prove that they were the righteous ones. So they didn't really have much love in their heart. But Jesus uses this parable, which is called the, par- uh, the prodigal son, to expose that self-righteous lack of love in their hearts, a lack of love for God the Father. Now, the main point of this passage is that God is a passionate God who is searching out for those who are lost. Why? Because we are valuable to him. We are made in his image, as we said earlier. We reflect, somewhat imperfectly, the character of God to the world around us. And God cares for each and every one of us, whether we're sitting in a pew today or we're out somewhere in the world. He leaves the 99 with under shepherds to watch them while he goes out to search for that one lost sheep. Because that one sheep is so valuable to him that he will stop everything he's doing to go and search and find that that lost sheep may be brought into his house. And when he finds that lost sheep, he throws it on his shoulders, he's full of joy. He rejoices as he brings that sheep back into the fold So our God is a missional God. Jesus tells us he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So let us pray and ask God to speak to us today with the message that he has for us. Loving Father, this morning we're so grateful to you that you were out there searching and seeking for us while we were lost. And by your grace and by the move of your Holy Spirit brought us to a place where we could turn from our selfishness and turn our life over to you. So Lord, we give thanks to you. We're full of joy this morning because we're in your house, worshiping you, listening to you, rejoicing over what you're doing in our midst. So, Lord, we pray that you be with us as we engage in your scripture this morning. In Jesus' name. So, I'd like to read for us the passage. Now, I brought my Bible, it's a big one because uh, <laughs> otherwise I'd need glasses to read. So, it's easier for me if I don't have to keep taking them off and putting them on. So, we're going to read from Luke 15 verse 11 through 24. Jesus continued, which means he has been teaching and speaking to the crowds, and now he has a third parable for them. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, The lost coin and the lost sheep highlight the anxiety that we feel when something valuable has gotten lost. In both of these examples, the shepherd and the woman rejoice by telling their neighbors. Jesus concludes the lost sheep example with the statement, there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than for the 99 righteous who need no repentance. Similarly, in the lost coin example, Jesus says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This reveals how precious human beings are to God. And how great is rejoicing. All of heaven is rejoicing. All of the angels are singing and clapping their hands and shouting for joy over one who repents. Is because each person is special to God. These two examples set up the more detailed parable of the lost son. The striking difference between the two earlier parables and the prodigal son parable is that in the first two, the objects um, really don't take much part in their lostness. Sheep wander and coins and things of significance somehow get put aside or roll away or get lost. But here, our participant is active in becoming lost. So the son says to the father, give me my share of the estate. The son really has no love for his father. He just wants his stuff. He's not interested in having a loving father-son relationship. He wants not to go to the celestial city but to go to the city of sin. He wants to do what is sinful, because for him, that is fun. And if we are honest, sin can be fun. Otherwise, it would not be so tempting. With regard to inheritances under Jewish law, Typically, the older son would receive two-thirds of the estate and the younger son one-third. And it's not typical that a father would divide the estate before his demise, but that sons or heirs would wait until the death of the owner of that estate before receiving their full inheritance. And in this case the younger son would receive the capital, the liquid assets, as we say, and the older son would receive yeah. the capital assets, the. the farm, the animals, the servants, all those things. Um, now, we may speculate why did the younger son want his portion of the estate now? And we can speculate with all kinds of possibilities. But perhaps at least the son didn't really want to work for his father. And he wanted his independence to go his own way. And he wanted a resource to be able to enjoy his life the way he saw fit. So ultimately, the prodigal didn't love his father or want a relationship with his father. He just wanted his father's money and to be out of his life and able to go on his merry way and do as he pleased. So not long after that, the son gathered up the inheritance. the so scripture says all that he had and left for a distant country. He took everything, so he left nothing behind, so there's nothing to come back to. This is another point revealing his lack of love for his family, for his father, for all the father had provided for him, a loving and safe environment for him to grow up in. The son got his wish, but it was not what he thought it would be. He used up all of his inheritance in wild living. Every day was a party. He did whatever he wanted to, and no one was there to tell him that he could not. Wasting his inheritance reveals the son's desire to be his own master and live independently of his father. This is a picture of Genesis chapter 3 and also. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. When we want our independence from God, we want to run our own show. We want to do what we want. We don't want to be told what to do. And it usually ends in disaster, doesn't it? Some of us were like this before Jesus found us. I know I was. We were independent, self-indulgent, and rebellious desire to be free from obedience to a loving relationship with God is enslavement to sin I left home at 17 the day after I graduated from high school stuck my thumb out and was on my way I grew up in church but I turned away from God when I was a teenager this is the 1960s and for those of you who are older You may remember how tumultuous those years were. And the same pattern that we see in the scripture occurred in my life as well. After years, life became difficult. I returned home. And fortunately for me, my parents warmly welcomed me back. They must have known this story. Well, as all selfish pursuits go, the bottom fell out for our beloved prodigal. His money was spent. His friends were gone. The son was beside himself. So he had to come to himself, come to a realization before he could find repentance. Then the second disaster came a severe famine engulfed the whole country and our prodigal was a foreigner there a famine would make it hard for people to even want to help a foreigner they have enough trouble taking care of their own family and their own needs and their own issues they have little to spare for others so let us not forget the foreigner in our own land You know, we hear an awful lot on the news and the media about millions of illegal aliens coming into our country. But there are also many here who came here legally that struggle to keep their head above water, food on the table, pay the rent. So let's remember those around us. I work with an Afghan family in Auburn. Their children are my students and I've had the privilege to be in their home on many occasions and eat with them and talk with them and they want to work unlike some of us Americans. They want to work. They want to contribute. They want to be part of the community but they have a language barrier. They don't know English. And it's difficult when you don't know the language of the country or you have limited education or you don't have transportation. So may God not help us to not look down on those less fortunate than ourselves. I pray that God will bring downtrodden people to our door and that we will gladly welcome them into our fellowship. I'll tell you a little story about a man named Mike. This is in another church. One day, Mike, hair down over his shoulders, came in and sat down in the church. And Mike was the town drunk. And that church family wrapped their arms around Mike and loved Mike. And our band leader, Adopted Mike and found him a place to live nearby where he lived, and Mike gave his life to the Lord because of the love of the people in the congregation, willingness to associate with the lowly, shall we say. Fortunately for our young prodigal, he did find someone, a citizen of that country, who would give him a job. That job was the most disgusting job for a young Jewish man, feeding pigs. Pigs are considered disgustingly filthy to Jews. It might be in our day like your job is cleaning public toilets or pumping out septic systems for people. Pretty nasty business. It shows how desperate our prodigal was. He was willing to do anything just so he could survive. He was desperate. No one gave him anything to eat. He had to stay alive, so he might have eaten some of the pig's food or he might have stolen to have something to eat. In this case, he sunk into moral and physical degradation. He's at the bottom. In fact, to the owner, the pigs were more important to him than the prodigal. As a result, our prodigal became destitute, friendless, forlorn, wretched, and employed with the lowest task a Jew Could perform. Verse 17, he tells us, he came to his senses. Well, you might say, finally, (laughs) right? Hardship can open up to us the reality of our situation and our need to change. There's a real contrast that comes to his mind in his awakening senses. Here I am starving. But my father's hired men have enough to eat and to spare for others. What am I doing here?" So the prodigal resolves to return home. Although his original motive is somewhat carnal, to fill his stomach and to be in somewhat friendlier surroundings, he does recognize that something's really wrong. His confession is not that he is sorry for what he has lost, his relationship with his father, a good home, but sorrow for what he has done. He has sinned. He recognizes his sin is first against God. He says against heaven, that's a means against God. Then he sees he sinned against his father. His attitude his wrong. He wasted his father's hard-earned money. He failed to honor his father as the fifth commandment tells us we should do. Before, he didn't want to work for his father. Now he's willing to go back and be a servant, not expecting to be treated as a son. At least I'll earn some income and be able to fill his stomach. In verses 18 and 19, the prodigal rehearses his confession that he'll make before his father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. In most cases, we have to come to the end of ourselves before we see the light. Reject our scheming, our planning, our self-righteous evaluation before we are ready for God to bring us to repentance. Our prodigal is ready because he not only confesses his sin, but he also accepts the consequences of that sin. He is not expecting That now that I've confessed, everything will be okay, just like it was before. Today, we often think that way. We say, I'm sorry, and think everything's good. We don't think about the hurt that we caused to others. We don't think about the pain that we've brought upon someone. Today, we say, my bad. Like, that will solve everything. It's not really a heartfelt confession, nor is it an apology. In the parable, our prodigal understands that life will be different from now on. His sins against God and against his father will cost him something. This is real repentance, not a spoken formula for ducking the consequences, not making excuses, blaming someone, blaming the situation. Our prodigal is accepting full responsibility and the resulting consequences. His His heart attitude has changed. This is true repentance. Now he's ready for redemption. Maybe when we see the cost of our sin, we can see that to be made right with God cost him the crucifixion of his son. In verse 20, he gets up and he starts off on his way to his father. He's ready to face the music as we say except the result of his rejection of the father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. The father was looking for his son to come home. He was waiting and praying for his son to return. He did not give up on his son. He kept trusting that God would reach out and bring his son home. Prodigals can give you a lot of heartache. I know I did that to my parents. By God's grace, they didn't give up on me. They kept praying, and God heard and answered their prayers. I had a prodigal child. It led me to tears and to depression. I was a wreck. I thought you would never change. That she would be lost. When you had more faith than I did in this matter. One day we went to a Christian counselor in Norway. He asked us to pray. He didn't start out with giving us advice or asking us questions or, you know, doing the typical counselor stuff. We prayed silently for 15 minutes. And then when we were done, he asked us, what did God say to you? He fully expected and believed that God would speak to us what he wanted us to do. Not what some human mind could conjure up as a way to solve the problem. And God did speak to us. He said just two words. Love her. So he began to just love her, not scold her, not correct her, not explain what she was doing was wrong, just love her and left her in God's hands. In high school, she would say, Daddy, I hate you. After following God's counsel, she began to say, Daddy, I love you. God had to change her heart, but he needed me to just love her and get out of his way. This is an example of the father's love for the repentant sinner. The, father, the prodigal's father was full of compassion for his dear son. He must have realized that his son had gone through great hardship. The the father didn't wait for the son to get up to the front porch and put out his hand to shake his hand, welcome back. He ran, couldn't wait, threw his arms around him, hugged him, kissed him. In America, it's not typical for fathers to kiss their adult sons, but this is a picture of how much God loves us Leon Morris in the Tyndale New Testament commentary suggests that the word kiss does not mean a peck on the cheek but rather many kisses or tenderly kissing this loving relationship is what the prodigal rejected when he took his inheritance and ran away left on his adventure the father is passionate in his love for the son The son can hardly get his confession out before the father is shouting his commands to his servants. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Go quickly. This is also a picture of God's love for us. God puts a robe on us, the robe of righteousness paid for with the blood of Jesus. He puts a ring on our finger, so to speak, that we are part of his royal family. And he puts sandals or shoes on our feet, the sandals of peace, the troubles, the worries, the cares, the frustrations, the hurts, the pains, all the things that rob us of our peace, the world and all its problems all around us. But God can put peace in our heart. Yes, these things all happen, yes, they're still real. But God can give us a peace to pass through those troubled waters because we trust in him. The The son came home in rags and barefoot. The father immediately began to lavish his love on his son by providing material comfort. The robe is a sign of position. He's reinstated as a son. The ring could have the significance of authority. He's part of the family, he's not going to be a servant. And the sandals indicate that he's not a slave, he's a free man. These gifts are also a sign of a restored relationship and forgiveness. This is not the only this is not only lifting Sorry. This is not only lifting punishment and setting aside guilt, but full restoration. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So he began to celebrate. The fatted calf was an animal that was reserved for some special occasion that would happen maybe a festival or some important religious observance. However, what better occasion to celebrate than the return of the repentant prodigal? It again shows the father's willingness to lavish his love on his son and demonstrates the father's overflowing joy at the son's return. He was dead but is alive, was lost, but is found. As an English teacher, I can't help but notice that dead and lost are in the past tense, and alive and found are in the present tense. So what does this mean? It's an emotional, overwhelming, but yet entertaining story. But what does it mean for us today in 2022? God has not changed over all these many centuries. He still loves his creation. He loves human beings that he created in his image. He's not taken by surprise or shocked when we turn away from him. Instead, he's searching for us to return, restore our relationship with him. We're attracted to follow our own thinking or the plans or worldly advice, and not consult God. Rather, our prayer should be, show me your will, Lord, not bless my plans. We are all guilty of this. We all fall on our face before we come to our senses. Our desire for independence may come for several reasons. We may not have allowed the word to really change our life, we may know many scriptures, but how many of those scriptures have transformed our heart? So we follow our own thinking or someone else's advice. We are rebellious. We don't want to come under the biblical teaching. We don't agree with something the Bible says. So we go our own way. We don't want God to control our life. We fear God may make us do something we don't want to do. We think God will call us to the mission field or ministry. I have news for you. God calls all of us to ministry in one capacity or another. Where God guides, he will provide not just materially, but in training and attitude and even in willingness. Many years ago, God called me to reach out to Muslims, but I refused. Then he brought me to Maine in 2023, uh, 2003, rather. There aren't any Muslims here. Little did I know how things would change. (laughs) Since 2005, I've had the privilege to share the gospel with a number of Muslims in the Auburn and Lewiston area. Another fear is God will take away the things I want, the things I like, In this case, the priority is on living for self and not trusting in the loving relationship that God provides. In some of these cases, we may wonder if the person is truly saved. I think there are many people out there who think they are Christians and going to heaven, but are living for themselves. In modern evangelical Christianity, we rush to get people saved. I'm also guilty of doing this. <clears throat> we say, pray the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Really? I've been watching videos put out by Living Waters, Ray Comfort. And these videos are quite instructive. They are live encounters with people on the street. And Ray has a very interesting way of having a challenging yet respectful conversation with people. At the end, he asks the person to think about what they've been talking about, and he may give them a book or a Bible, but he never pushes or encourages them to pray the sinner's prayer. He is careful to lead someone, he is careful not to lead someone into superficial belief. And in the parable, the prodigal had to come to a change of heart before he was ready to repent and believe. So, what does this mean for us, either as a young person or as an older person? For young people, watch your dreams and aspirations. A young prodigal had dreams and aspirations, but they didn't take him in the right direction. We want to live large. We want to be popular. We want to be cool. We want to have lots of friends. But watch out for the cost. Be content. Don't despise your situation. Be grateful what God has given you. I'm reminded of a story of a young teen. After I finished my education at Gordon College, I traveled down to Lynn, Mass. And was staying there with my former roommate from from the college. And we started a ministry to young people in the Lynn area. And one of our young men who came to our gatherings was a drug addict was a thug, beat up old people, stole their their belongings for his drug habit. By God's grace, he came to faith in Christ. He went to NBBI up there in Brunswick. He's been a pastor for over 30 years. Be satisfied. The things of this world will never satisfy you. You can never fill the God space, the place in your heart and your life for God with the things of this world. They'll either get old and tiresome or they'll leave you wanting. Don't be impatient. Wait. You want to grow up and be free and make your own decisions and get out from under mom and dad's roof. Wait. Wait or the fulfillment that God has for you. Watch out for the trap of independence. You will always have parents and some authority in your life, the school, a boss, the government. It's illusion to think that we are free of authority. We are accountable to someone, our spouse, our parents, our boss, our government, and of course, ultimately, to God. So for parents, for adults, do you have a prodigal child? A lot of us have a prodigal strain in us anyway. Love them. Pray for them. Have compassion when they mess up. There are consequences, but give grace to help them through those consequences. Be affectionate. Demonstrate your love practically to your prodigal. It doesn't mean you completely disregard sin, but they really need to know that you love them, that you care for them, that you got their back. Trust God to convict them and lead them to repentance and be patient. And finally rejoice rejoice when your son or daughter turns to the Lord it'll be a great joy it'll fill your heart thank you Lord for your word thank you Lord that you call us to be like you and to love others whether they are our prodigals or whether they are people around about us in our work in our neighborhood however you bring them into our lives. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet and help us to be a reflection of you that they may see Jesus and give their lives to you. Amen.